next, I'd like to uh, introduce Dr. Christine Cursera, um, who has been with us for a long, long time. Um, she's now presently uh, the president-elect of the society, put together this conference, did a great job with that. Uh, she works in Dallas, Texas, at treating uh, general dermatology, and then she also works in uh, clinical research. Please welcome Ms. Cusera. Thank you. Okay. Um, this is called Truth and Consequences, Safety of Class One Topical Steroids in the Management of Steroid-Responsive Dermatoses. And I know that that is a long topic. What we're going to focus on today is actually a topic dermatitis. Um, we have to thank Medicis. They actually gave us a, a very generous grant and, and um, are underwriting this lecture. And um, this lecture is interesting. It was actually put together. I did not put this together myself. It was put together by a group of dermatologists that uh, met um, in an advisory board. And uh, they put together kind of some really practical, good information about atopic dermatitis. So I really hope this helps you guys. Okay, steroid-responsive dermatoses are skin disorders that, are, that respond to treatment with topical steroids mainly due to the anti-inflammatory effects of the steroids. Examples include atopic dermatitis, plaque psoriasis, and contact dermatitis. And today, like I said, we're going to focus on atopic dermatitis. Now, atopic dermatitis is one of the most common skin diseases. About 10 to 20 percent of children are affected, and about 60 percent of these kids um, develop the disease during their first 12 months of life. Um, it does clear shortly uh, after puberty in about 40 to 60% of our patients, but it can persist into adolescence. One to three percent of adults uh, end up having atopic dermatitis that is onset after adolescence. Okay, this is kind of a new term called the atopic march, and what this is is normally uh, the first, uh, atopic dermatitis is the first manifestation of atopy in patients who subsequently develop allergic rhinitis and asthma, therefore calling it the atopic march. You develop the skin condition and then you develop rhinitis and or asthma. Um, allergic rhinitis affects 50 to 80% of children with AD and asthma affects 50% of children with AD. If you don't mind, I'm gonna say AD so I don't have to say it over and over. Um, remember that uh, there is a complex interaction among a number of factors um, that are very important in the atopic dermatitis factor. Skin barrier defect, we know that. There is a genetic susceptibility, environmental factors, and infectious agents. These all play a major role in atopic dermatitis. Now, this is called the two-hit theory. Two main reasons that are involved in atopic dermatitis. Skin barrier defect, and the genetic susceptibility causing an immune dysregulation. Now, this two-hit theory, 50% of children with moderate to severe AD do carry a defective uh, uh, filaggrin gene. And this gene that it, they, they don't have is actually the main gene that controls the formation of a protein lipid components forming the epidermal barrier, so they are missing this gene. 
Um, on top of that, we know that there is a defective skin barrier which allows entry of toxins, allergens, and the microbes which trigger the immune dysregulation. So it's a very complex thing that's going on in atopic dermatitis. Now, uh, we know that there's a lot of skin infections in these patients. Um, nor this, this could be because normal skin does contain a natural antimicrobial peptide. And this peptide per protects against infection. Atopic patients, um, are the lesions are associated with an increased expression of interleukin, and this interleukin actually inhi inhibits this important peptide. And what that leads to is the concentrations of natural antimicrobial peptides are too low to kill Staph aureus, and then patients end up getting an infection. So it's this very complex uh, interaction between these interleukins, these peptides, and the reason the patient is uh, susceptible to these skin infections. Now, we know that AD is a severe burden on patients and uh, families. Affected uh, estimated 15.2 million U.S. individuals in 2004. That's a lot of people in the United States. And among the patients with atopic dermatitis, 21% developed allergic manifestations, meaning they had allergic rhinitis, asthma, conjunctivitis, and a lot of them developed food allergies. Now, we know that treating atopic dermatitis and its allergic manifestations can be costly. Um, the overall cost of treatment in the United States was $0.9 billion to $3.8 billion. Uh, the mean per patient cost of medical services and prescription drugs in 2005, um, 338 million or billion, I'm sorry, and 820. So that is huge, huge money. And we all know it has a very negative impact on family life. Um, unfortunately, a lot of sleep disturbances. The, the kiddos wake up, scratch all night long, then mom and dad doesn't get sleep. Um, the negative impact on families, happiness. Everybody that comes in with it, if you, you know, have seen your patients that have a really bad atopic kid, they're all just very grumpy because they haven't had any, any peace of mind. Um, they're very irritable, fussy, a lot of increased crying in the children, uh, guilt or self-blame of the parent. The parents you tend to think sometimes that what are they doing wrong? You know, should I not be doing this or that? A negative reaction of public to the effective child, and we do a lot of psoriasis. Um, in our office, and um, there actually is some patients that have uh, atopic dermatitis as bad as our psoriasis patients, and they get the same quality of life issues. Um, they worry about the medication side effects, cost of care, and the child's psychosocial development. We have one little girl that's, um, she's so cute, she's nine, and she has eczema from head to toe, and we can't get it clear. We've even tried cyclosporin, um, we can't get her clear. And uh, she sits and scratches to the point in class that um, they send her home every day. And so now the kids are making fun of her because she's the special kid at school. So it's, it's very sad, it's very tough. Now we all have kind of seen the signs and symptoms of atopic dermatitis. Uh, puritis, that's the main problem. These kids scratch and scratch and scratch. And a lot of times if you can keep them from scratching, then everything tends to get better. It is the hallmark of atopic dermatitis. You get erythema, you get excoriations because the patients just, just can't help but claw themselves. 
uh, population and lichenification. Now, when I first saw this slide, I didn't know population was a true word. And I asked my fellow PA buddies, and we were very uh, split on it. It actually is a word. We looked it up in the dictionary. So it's development of papules. I don't know if any of y'all have heard population, but I hadn't heard it very often. Okay, pruritus, hallmark of atopic dermatitis. If these kids are very, very, very itchy. Uh, erythema, it can get very, very angry, very angry. Papulation, there's that word, and that is the development of papules. Excoriations, um, you will see lots and lots of scratches on these kids. And lichenification, unfortunately, they have scratched so much that their skin thickens. And infection, once again, not only do they have open wounds from scratching, but they also don't have that special skin barrier protein that helps fight off infection. So it's kind of like a double whammy with these guys. Now, what should you do to manage atopic dermatitis? The main, main goal with this is you've got to control the itch-scratch cycle. We've all heard of the itch-scratch cycle. Um, it itches, they scratch, you get lesions, they itch more, they have to break that cycle. You've got to reduce the skin irritation um, with topical steroids to reduce the uh, itching. And then um, this is kind of a concept called hit hard and hit fast. And this is what we actually do in our practice. You've got to control the exacerbations um, and you have to do high potency steroids. You've got to hit them hard. Um, if you don't, you're going to be, it's, it's going to be tough treating these kids. You're going to be, they're going to come back to your office over and over and over and over with no improvement. And not only are they going to uh, get worse and scratch more, but mom and dad are going to get more frustrated with you. So here's all our topical steroids and potencies. And then how do you choose a topical steroid for a patient with atopic dermatitis? Now you have to see uh, what the disease severity is, patient's age, extent of skin involvement, Cosmetic acceptability of vehicle. You know, a lot of patients don't like ointments, unfortunately, even though they work really well. And the likelihood of compliance with the regimen. I mean, is the patient going to let mom and dad put something on them? Does that topical steroid have something in it that stings? If it does, more than likely the kid's not going to be able to stand it and mom's going to have to hold them down to put it on. Now, management of atopic dermatitis. Hit hard, hit fast. This is kind of a, a little study that was done um, between a high-potency steroid and a mid-potency steroid. And 174 children uh, were, were tested, and it was very short. And what it was is the patient was treated with betamethasone valerate twice a day for three days versus hydrocortisone ointment uh, twice a day for seven days. So they did a short and a long-term short-term being the higher potency, long-term being the lower potency, and in the end, there was no difference in the number of scratch-free days. So basically, this is kind of telling you that if you, if you do use something stronger on a shorter period of time, works just as well as if you use something low potency, or mid-potency, I'm sorry, but you're gonna have to do a longer period of time. And you know patients want relief immediately. Now, it's very important to go over skin care and general measures. You've got to avoid environmental irritants. Bathe five to ten minutes, one to two times per day using mild cleansing agents. 
follow bathing by application of moisturizer and emollient. And we all remember the patient has to get that emollient on between three and five minutes after drying off. Use creams or ointments and avoid lotions. Now, these are the class one topical steroids um, that are, are mostly used. Um, we have the clobetasol uh, propionate emollient foam. It is non-sticky vehicle with moisturizing ingredients. And then we have the fluosinonide 0.1% cream. And this is a, a, a cream vehicle with an ointment-like qualities. So this is kind of nice because it is a cream vehicle, but it's not as greasy as those ointments. Um, clobetasol foam is, uh, this is uh, twice a day, is effective for atopic dermatitis. Um, and this was versus, and the next slide, a, uh, the, uh, the cream used for once a day. And it's just trying to show you that there are some things you can use once a day on the patient, and it works as well as something used twice a day on the patient. And the, uh, this is really important because, you know, it's very hard to get patients to use things twice a day, especially if mom's trying to fight a kid to put stuff on. A lot of times uh, they're so busy they'll only get it on once a day. So these next two slides show, this one shows that if the patient is using a clobetasol foam twice a day, um, about 60% of the patients um, receive treatment success of at least clear or almost clear. And if you guys have done um, studies, you know normally they um, judge a patient on the physician's global assessment, and it's a five or six point scale, um, depending on the study, and it's clear, almost clear, um, no change, you know, worse. It's like a five different points. So clear or almost clear is what you want to see when you're testing a drug. So this showed twice a day, about 60% of the patients received clear or almost clear, and this is with the clobetasol foam. But if you want to use something only once a day that helps out the parents or, or you uh, want to only treat once a day, then uh, you can use the fluosinonide cream once a day. And the Physician's Global Assessment, again, using it once a day was about 60%. So it was um, equal or even a little better than using the foam twice a day. Now, the fluosinonide cream in patients with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis, um, this was a study that was done. Uh, 313 patients were in this study. The disease severity had to be at least moderate. And what this compared was this fluosinonide 0.1% cream using it once a day or twice a day. Now, a lot of times you think, well, if you use a steroid once a day, I don't know how, how good it's going to do. Um, so they went ahead and did a study showing that, you know, half the patients used it once a day, half the patients used it twice a day. Would you think the twice a day patients would get a better efficacy? Well, this was a two-week treatment period, and the primary assessment was again done by the physician's global assessment of the overall severity scores, which was a zero through a five, and what you're looking for is a zero or one, a clear or almost clear. And what happened, the QD dosing, um, the patients, actually 59% of the patients got a zero to one, which is a clear or almost clear. And in the twice a day dosing, what was interesting is the patients, 57% got clear or almost clear. So this just kind of shows that if you really do only use the treatment once a day, um, it, you still get great efficacy, which really helps those of you know um, that have kids and are busy if you can find something that you can put on a patient one time a day and it really does work, um, I think it's a, a great asset 
to have in your practice. Now, vehicle effects on topical steroids. Remember that um, steroids uh, penetrate deeper um, sometimes, and you get uh, more efficacy sometimes with depending on what uh, vehicle they're in. It makes them more potent. Um, some of them uh, have the extent of percutaneous absorption, local tolerability, patient preference, compliance. You have to think of all this stuff when you're deciding. Lotion, cream, ointment, gel, what am I going to use? Now, atrophogenic effects of topical steroids. I think probably a lot of times, especially in kids, the parents are always concerned about the HPA axis suppression um, because they read about it somewhere. And uh, there was a survey done in the UK of 200 dermatology outpatients, and their main concerns also were, what is the steroid going to do to my skin? And then also, does it have any effect on the growth and development, either of themselves or their kids? So um, what has been shown is there are low rates of HPA axis suppression with superpotent topical steroids. Um, there was, this is data from two separate, um, or from a separate two-week uh, non-comparative trial. And clobetasol foam, the foam, the HPA axis suppression was about 16%. And in the fluinacinonide cream, the HPA axis suppression was about 6%. And these patients were more than 12 years old. Um, and they had a pretty good area affected of atopic dermatitis. They had 20 to 30% body surface area. So that's using a lot of topicals. You know, in all the psoriasis lectures you've probably been to, it says if a patient has more than about 8 to 10% body surface area, you really shouldn't use topical steroids, number one, because they're going to be going through too much of them. And number two is, you know, there is a very low incidence of HPA axis suppression and uh, you can also, if they're using too much steroid, you can have skin atrophy and things like that. So um, after using on a pretty large BSA, um, these did show a low incidence of, uh, of the HPA axis suppression. But also, what was interesting is after the steroids were stopped, the normalization of the HPA axis suppression um, occurred. So everything went back to normal. Now, very low rates of skin atrophy with superpotent topical steroids. Um, the uh, clobetasol uh, lotion, the skin atrophy was 4.2, telangiectasia is 3.2, clobetasol foam was uh, atrophy only was 1.9%. And then with the fluacinamide cream, the uh, QD or BID dosing of all the patients, uh, stria was only 1% and telangiectasia were only 1%. So this is a, you know, these are really strong topical steroids that you can use on a daily basis that you don't have to worry about the skin atrophy, telangiectasias, and the HPA axis suppression. So these are pretty, um, pretty safe. Treatment with the 1% fluocinonide cream caused few changes in the pediatric patients. Um, 63 patients once daily application, and there were 63 patients that do, did twice daily application, and really the numbers were almost exactly the same. Okay, relapse prevention, you know that's very important. Uh, if you treat a patient, you hit them hard, hit them fast, um, they get great, they love you, you certainly don't want them to flare again. So we do need to treat them, but we need to keep it from coming back. Now, high-potency topical steroids can be used intermittently to prevent relapse once uh, the ADX exacerbation is controlled and suggested twice weekly application. What we normally do is we actually have them do a really strong super potent topical one steroid for two weeks, and then we step down and have them do it just on the weekends. 
Um, we'll have them do it, uh, this says, uh, like, Sunday and Thursday. We actually have them do it on Saturday and Sunday. So we tell them to do it on the weekends, and then during the week they use something else, whether they use a moisturizer or something different, like a, um, uh, you know, uh, or Eladil or, or, you know, something much, much lower, you know, topical steroid. So something you can mix in with it. Now, calcineurin inhibitors is second-line therapy. Um, these actually are approved for short-term treatment of atopic dermatitis in adults and children two years of age and older. And potency, the actual uh, uh, pomicrolimus, I can't even say that word, um, is less active than the tacrolimus. And I will let you know that um, this is a lot what we use with when you're stepping down, trying to get a patient off of the topical steroid. When I say that we're, when we start using the, um, the um, class one steroids on Saturday and Sundays, and we do this a lot in our psoriasis patients as well. We start doing the class one steroids on the weekends. We add in one of these during the week. And the other thing these are really good for is uh, facial. Facial eczema, uh, facial psoriasis, um, facial um, subderm. Sometimes it helps just from the anti-inflammatory uh, properties. So we do use a lot of the calcineurin inhibitors. Um, it does have a lack of uh, the uh, skin breakdown, the atrophy, things like that. Safe for use on the face, neck, intertritinous areas. Very good for any type of uh, eczema, psoriasis, anything like that um, in the intertritinous areas. Uh, we use it a lot in the groin, especially the patients that have psoriasis. We use a ton of this in the groin. No adverse effects on the eyes, useful for periorbital areas, um, does have a black spot blocks warning. And the most common side effect is transient burning sensation of the skin. That's always been reported, especially when these first came out and they were really talking about them. But we don't get a lot of patients that complain about burning or stinging with these uh, medicines. Now, adjunctive therapy for atopic dermatitis. It's good to treat the skin in general, treat the skin lesions, but remember you gotta break that itch scratch cycle and you gotta, you gotta help them with that as well. It's very important to do oral antihistamines if needed. Um, we normally do use the sedating ones, especially in kids. You really wanna put them to sleep at night so that they don't scratch all night. And then anti-infectives if need be, if skin infection is present. Um, there is a... Uh, Pediatric dermatologist, he's talked to us a lot, um, Dr. Fred Golly, who works down the street from us, and uh, he really, really believes that in treating atopic dermatitis, it's very important to put patients on an antibiotic if you can't get them clear. And uh, if you're having a hard time clearing their skin up, he'll use Septra, and he'll do it um, for a solid month in the kids, and it seems to work very well. Okay, new approaches for atomic, uh, atopic dermatitis treatment barrier repair. Uh, they, we have all the new barrier repair creams now. Um, the new, um, gosh, there's so many now, the Epi Serum, and we use all of these a lot. Um, when they first came out, I thought, mm, I don't know. I don't know if they're gonna work. And you know, I asked my boss, Dr. Minner, you know, what do you think about these? Are you gonna use them? And he was like, I don't know. And then of course he tells the PAs to use them and tell him if they work and then he'll use them. So um, we actually have used a lot of these in the patients, especially with hand issues. And um, you, you, know, you don't actually use these in place of your other treatment, but what you can do is if you can get the patient on a steroid, um, you know, 
treatment at night only, like if you're using the once-day dosing and you can get them on something like Eladil or Protopic um, and you're using it maybe all at night, then in the morning time we have the patients put on one of these barrier repair creams and then we have them put it on again uh, right after lunch. And it actually has done a really, really good job. Now, the skin barrier function repair agents, remember they're classified as medical devices rather than drugs, and they are intended for diagnosis, cure, um, treatment, prevention of disease, um, affect the structure, any function of the body, and they do not achieve intended use through chemical reaction, not metabolized. And um, so really these aren't, I mean, they don't, they're, you know, they're not regulated. There hasn't been a lot of, um, I would say, studies on them or anything like that, but from what we've seen, they work, you know, they really work well, and we haven't seen any side effects in them at all. So when you optimize clinical practice, when you're treating these patients, you have to do a, an approach that really includes a lot of different factors. You have to hydrate the skin. You've got to get the patient to stop itching. If you have to give them an antipyretic, that's awesome. Uh, Topical anti-inflammatory medications, identification and possible elimination of triggering factors. Um, we work very closely with allergists, and if we you know, can't get a kiddo clear, then a lot of times we'll make sure that they're not having any kind of weird reaction to something like their you know, feather pillow or whatever they're sleeping on. You've got to treat secondary infections as appropriate and minimize scratching, and you've got to control the puritis. That is very, very, very essential. Now, a myth, topical steroids are unsafe in children and are not first line for therapy. Uh, topical steroids remain the mainstay of treatment. Treatment of inflammation is the primary goal, and they're very safe when correctly used. Now, in the pediatric population, you've got to educate the parent. You've got to um, remember that low-potency preparations are not useful if it's moderate to severe disease. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get the patient better. Um, they could lend to persistent, or they could lead to persistence of the disease. Um, and the longer the patient has it, the more scratching, the more infection. So your goal is to get it clear fast. Um, low potency preparations, um, they do have their place, and you can use them face intertriginous areas. Um, ointments are preferred. And then your parent education is very, very, very important with these kids. Um, patients, a lot of the parents have a steroid phobia. They've read all kinds of stuff or they've actually heard all kinds of crazy stories from at the PTA meeting. Um, so you've got to teach them about steroids and teach them what they are, what the potential side effects are, but if used correctly, the side effects are very low. Um, give them safety data and take advantage of internet resources. Every patient that comes in the office leaves with a whole or their parents leave with a whole host of information about eczema, topic dermatitis, all the websites they can go to, I mean, just anything that you can possibly think of, handouts, you name it. Okay, the topical steroids, this is just kind of a list uh, FDA approved for pediatric use. And then remember that much of what we use uh, actually is off-label, but you know what? You kind of find your own regimen and you use what works. And then um, clinical experiences, all ages. Remember, uh, this is another term that people use, full court press. You've got to treat the inflammation, itch, dry skin infection. You've got to treat everything. 
take time to educate and explain. Uh, patients and parents uh, remember less than 50% of what they were told in the office. That's why it's important to send home information with them. Um, they'll probably call you later and ask you questions, and you probably will think, I know I told them that, but you may have to tell them again. Handouts, websites with downloads are very useful, and atopic dermatitis can be prevented and treated, but not cured. That mom and dad need to know that. They're not going to come in your office. You're not going to give them something. It's going to go away. It's never going to happen again. They have to know that this is going to be a battle. So two-hit theory is involved in the pathobiology of atopic dermatitis. A skin barrier gene defect and a genetic susceptibility cause immune dysregulation. Pruritus and inflammation are the key symptoms that must be treated. And conclusions here, topical steroids are the first-line anti-inflammatory agents for atopic dermatitis. Early aggressive treatment is very important. The full court press with a potent topical steroid is the most effective means of gaining control. Super potent topical steroids are safe and effective for the short-term treatment, sometimes used off-label for children two years um, or older. And age, atopic dermatitis cannot be cured, but it can be treated and managed. And that's the end. Any questions?